0: If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to John chapter 21. We are at the end of our study through the book of John, the gospel of John. We've been in since uh, January. And what's interesting, if you were here last week, it appears, if you have your Bible, you can look at verses 30 and 31. It appears that John, in those verses, is wrapping up his gospel, providing a really good conclusion in verses 30 and 31. Uh, That sounds like the end, and then he comes in in chapter 21 and adds this story about Jesus and Peter. And I just love this, because here's kind of the feel. Imagine yourself sitting around your kitchen table with family or lifelong friends that you grew up with, or people that you went to college with, and the stories start getting shared. You start sharing one story after another and you're laughing, having a wonderful time. Uh, And just, it's one of those things, just as somebody gets ready to wrap it up and leave, somebody says, I got one more story. And you start sharing the stories again. That's what's happening here. It's as if John's writing this last sentence in his gospel and he thinks, wait a minute. I got one more. One more story that I want to share about the goodness and the kindness of Jesus. Remember that time when we were fishing and he scared us to death because he appeared on the shore and called out to us. And remember that conversation that Jesus had with Peter and how he restored him and loved him and brought him back in. I just got to share it. That's what John's doing here. One more story about how great and good Jesus is. So with that in mind, follow along with me as I read John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. You can find it printed in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. This is God's word. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, And two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from land but about a hundred yards off. Who are you? Because they knew who it was. You see, they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread, and he gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. And you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and will carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show what kind of death he was to glorify God, and after saying this to him, he said, follow me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the ways that you have met us through this study of the Gospel of John and how you have shown us the goodness of Jesus. And we pray now that you would take this passage and that you would apply it to our hearts, that you would convict us and challenge us, but also comfort us with the goodness and the grace of Jesus. We pray this morning that you would convince us once again that we are a bigger mess than we realize. But at the very same time, I pray that you would show us that in you is more grace and mercy than we could possibly imagine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. To understand really what's going on in this dialogue and really in all of chapter 21, but particularly this dialogue with uh, Peter and Jesus, we've got to know a little bit of the backstory. And the back story is John chapter 18 which happened a couple of weeks before a week or two before this event and if you remember John chapter 18 confident boisterous Peter the man met utter failure See all throughout the gospels we'll see that Peter was the one always sticking himself out there always confident putting himself out there as being more committed and more devoted and more loving to Jesus than any of the other disciples. But on the night that Jesus was arrested, three times, Peter emphatically denied that he even knew Jesus, that he loved Jesus. And just as Jesus predicted, that night the rooster crowed, and Peter, if you remember, remembers what he has done, and he broke down in despair, and he wept bitterly. Since that night, Jesus has been crucified and died on a cross. He's been resurrected, and he's appeared to his disciples a couple of times. And we get to chapter 21, and we see Jesus again in his resurrected body. But here's what we see. Even Jesus in his resurrected body was not enough... To rid Peter's memory of his utter failure before Jesus. Because Peter couldn't shake it. See, and it's there in the midst of unshakable failure. That Peter and Jesus have this conversation about that night a couple of weeks ago. I want you to think about this morning, your life. What is your unshakable failure? What is the thing right now in your life that it happened years ago, but you can't shake it? What is the unshakable failure? Is it an academic failure? Is it a financial failure? Is it a failure in your marriage? Or is it a failure in your parenting? Or is it a sexual sin? Or is it a secret that to this day you have not told anyone? What are the things in your life that you have done that you wish you hadn't? And as you think about those things, perhaps you sit here this morning just like Peter and you are wondering if there's still hope for you. Is there hope for you in the midst of your failure and sin? Friends, John chapter 21 John chapter 21 is the best news in the world because here's what it says, that Jesus loves failures. And not only does he love failures, but he restores them completely and he uses them in his kingdom. See, the question then becomes, how does that happen? How do you go from failure to restoration like Peter? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we see three ways in our text that that process happens. And the first one is humility. Restoration, from failure to restoration, involves humility. And secondly, we'll see it involves repentance. And then thirdly, it involves renewed following. So let's look at number one. Moving from failure to restoration involves humility. It involves facing your failure. If you think about the passage, how it begins, Peter is with six of the other disciples, and he wants to go fishing. He's a leader. Everybody else wants to go fishing with him, because Peter wants to do it. And they go on this particular night, and this is supposed to be their trade, but they were getting no bites on this particular night. And the morning is coming, and someone from the shore, they don't know it's Jesus, it's dark, and they're a 100 yards off, says... Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some fish. They cast the net on the right side, and we see that the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, says, it is the Lord, that is Jesus. And he tells Peter, that is the Lord. And think about what Peter does, I just love this. It's kind of odd, if you look at verse 7, He put, I'm not sure what kind of fishing trip this was, but he puts on his outer garments because he was stripped for work. That's weird for several reasons, but at any rate, um, Peter, Peter is the first one in the water. I mean, you know, you would think any normal person would say, well, let's just roll in as fast as we can and we'll see him. Peter says, no, 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 it's the Lord. He jumps in, the first one to get there because Peter was the first to do everything. You See, it's classic Peter, isn't it? You look at all of the Gospels and look about who Peter and what he's like. He always he, he put himself out there as the most committed and the most courageous and the most radical and the most loving and devoted disciple of Jesus. Remember John chapter 13? It's Peter who emphatically says, I will remain loyal. I will die for you. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you guys will be so afraid that you are going to deny when the heat gets turned up, you are going to head for the hills because you're so afraid and scared. Remember what Peter does? Maybe them. (laughs) They will, but Jesus, I will never do that. I will never leave you. I never will. He was always the answer man. He's the first one to speak up in all the interactions with the disciples most of the time. He was the hardest worker. Look at verse 11. Large fish, 153 of them in the net. Peter says, I got this. I got this. And Peter goes and he gets the fish off of the net. And he's courageous. When Jesus gets arrested, who's the one that put, pulls out the sword and comes to Jesus' defense and cuts off the ear of the soldier? It's Peter. And here in this passage, who's the first one to jump out of the boat and go to the shore? It's Peter. And Peter gets to the shore. And look at verse 9. When Peter gets to the shore, he smells something. And this detail is very easy to miss, but he smells a charcoal fire, not a wood fire, a charcoal fire burning. John didn't have to say that. John could have just said a fire was burning and Jesus was by it, cooking. A charcoal fire. Why does John make a point to tell us it was a charcoal fire? There's only one other place In the Bible where a charcoal fire is mentioned. And you know where it is? John chapter 18. Verse 18. The night Jesus was arrested. His trial was going on. And Peter is by a charcoal fire. Warming himself. And he denies three times that he even knew Jesus. And so when Peter gets to the shore... You can just imagine as he's smelling the charcoal fire. He's reminded of the last time he was around a charcoal fire. When he betrayed and denied Jesus. And so you can imagine the shame and the guilt come bubbling up inside of Jesus. And if that were not enough, look at verse 15 and 17. Jesus turns up the pain. He turns up the pain And in verses 15 and 17, seemingly in front of everyone else, Jesus' denial was public. His restoration is also public. And Jesus says three times, Simon, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then the last time, notice it says, Peter was grieved. Why was Peter grieved? Well, you see, first of all, restoration and repentance is often very painful, isn't it? And Jesus here, in this moment of Peter's three-time denial, it becomes crystal clear in this moment as Jesus asks him, how many times? Three. Do you love me? It seems harsh, doesn't it? What is Jesus doing here? Because it seems like this is just some cruel form of manipulation. But that's not what Jesus is doing. You see, Jesus is forcing Peter. And it's almost as if he's not doing this. But it's almost as if he's got him by the back of the collar. And he's forcing him to face his failure. He's forcing him to see his pride and self-sufficiency. And to come to him with his failure. You see, the biggest problem for Peter was not his denial. You know that, right? You see, Peter's biggest problem was his arrogance. Peter's biggest problem was his pride and his confidence in himself. His biggest problem was he thought he was better than everyone else. His biggest problem was that he thought there was nothing that he would not do for Jesus. And Jesus wanted to show him that he was no better than anyone else. As you see, you think about it. Peter does the very thing that he said that he would never do. I will never leave you. I will never sell you out. And he sells Jesus out. And here's my question for us. What is it for you? What is the thing in your life right now that you look at and you say, Other people do that, but I will never fill in the blank. Don't ever do that. Do not ever say that. Because what we see here is that if you don't believe that you're capable of doing anything, given the right set of circumstances and the right situation, then the Bible says you're naïve. And the Bible says that you have a very shallow view of sin and you don't have a clue about the depths of sin inside your own heart. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can trust it? Everywhere in the Gospels, friends, we see, we've seen it every chapter throughout our study that the only way you meet Jesus and the only way you are healed and restored is if you come to him as a failure. And I know that's hard to hear, but there's no other way. And we don't like that because we want to be airlifted out of our failure, don't we? We want to escape our failure. And Jesus says, I want to come come to me like Peter, and I want to take you through the failure. And yes, it will be difficult because it will mean opening up, just like for Peter, opening up old wounds and reliving old memories that you don't want to live. But when you face the hard stuff, we see it in Peter, that's when your life starts to change and you start to experience growth and change and restoration. And friends, Jesus is so, so good and gracious, isn't he? Because at the place of Peter's greatest failure was the place of tremendous healing and growth and love and forgiveness. Secondly, it involves repentance. Moving from restoration or from failure to restoration involves facing the failure, humility. And it involves repentance. Look at verses 4 through 14. And here's really what I want us to grasp from this. Think about Jesus As Peter gets to the shore, and I love the fact if you were here last week, Thomas is with them. Isn't that great? Because Thomas had just had a moment of his own with Jesus, hadn't he? Thomas is with them, and he knows exactly what Jesus is like, but when Peter gets to the shore, here's what I want us to notice the arms aren't crossed, the foot is not tapping. The scowl is not on his face. The finger is not wagging at Peter. He's not immediately putting it back in his face on what happened on that particular night. But instead, look at verse 12. Peter, come eat breakfast with me. Come. And let's share a meal together. That, to me, is hard for me to compute. Think about what Jesus has experienced from his disciples. Unbelievable. All of these guys headed for the hills. Peter denied him three times, and Jesus, in his goodness and grace, says, let's eat breakfast together. Come and eat with me at this table. It reminds me of Tony Campolo. Uh, it's, it has, he tells a story about a time he was on a cross-country flight to California, and he was sitting next to this four-year-old, who was with her mother, and they were going, they'd been away on a trip, they were going home, and she was excited about seeing her daddy. She had this yellow dress on, he says, and she ate, during the first half of the trip, a half a pound of peanut M&M's. And you can imagine, about halfway through the flight, those peanut M&M's came right back up. She was sick for the whole second half of the flight, he says, so her yellow dress has just throw up and peanut M&M's all over it she gets to the airport and Campola watches as her daddy uh, is there waiting for her, this is back when you could stay at the terminal and she sees her dad and her dad sees her coming with this throw up all over her yellow dress peanut M&M's at all and runs and picks her up and hugs her and kisses her and spends time with her and then he looks at his wife and says can you take the carry on My girl needs me right now. That's the picture. That's the picture of this passage. Jesus, in the midst of our failure, and in the midst of mess, actually wants to be with us. And like Peter, he says, come and eat with me. And that's it. Friends, this is it, right here. The only way you're going to ever have the courage to deal with your failure and to run to Jesus is by what? You don't run to Jesus if you think he's got arms crossed, a tapping foot, and a wagging finger. No, you run to Jesus if you know that you're going to be loved. It is knowing what you've done that no matter what shameful secrets you pull out of your closet that Jesus says, let's eat breakfast. It's knowing that Jesus will meet you there. That he will not reject you, but he will assure you of his grace. Romans 2, verse 4. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, it is the tapping foot, the scowl, and the wagging finger from God that will lead you to repentance. That's not what it says. says in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, it's the kindness, you see. It's the mercy. It's the grace of God that leads you to repentance. And that's why I talk about how good Jesus is all the time. Because that's what's going to change us. That's what's going to cause us to turn from our sin and run to Him. And Peter knew that. That's why he could turn in the midst of his most shameful moment and run to Jesus because he knew Jesus loved him. And that's how good godly grief works, isn't it? You know the difference between worldly grief and godly grief? Worldly grief leads to self-absorption and death. And godly grief leads to what? Life and repentance. And we see that, a picture of that with Peter and Judas. Think about it. They both denied Jesus and failed him miserably on the night Jesus was arrested. And they both broke down and wept bitterly, didn't they? There's one big difference. Judas had no place to take his failure. And that revealed himself when he eventually hung himself. Peter, on the other hand, he took his failure... And it drove him into the merciful, gracious arms of Jesus. Think about it. He jumps out of the boat. He doesn't go the other way. He doesn't say, oh my goodness, there's Jesus. And he jumps out the back of the boat and swims the other way. He swims to Jesus because he knew he could. Because he knew Jesus would love him in the midst of his failure. And that's the thing that's going to change us and lead us to repentance. Think about worldly sorrow that leads to death. It leads to death because when you feel bad and you feel guilty for your sin, you stay in the failure failure and you wallow in it. But the problem with that is there's no real sorrow there. And sure, you might be sorry that you lost faith with people, or you might hate that you hurt your family and let God down and let yourself down. And listen, that really does hurt. Those things are incredibly painful. But the ironic thing is though it does not look like pride because you feel so horrible in that moment, it really is pride and self-absorption. Because you see, worldly sorrow. How do you know if you're experiencing godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow? Worldly sorrow is you're just grieved over yourself. You're simply sorry that you got caught and lost face and you have to experience the consequences of your failure. Godly sorrow, we see it shown by Peter, and then Peter runs to Jesus with his sin. You see yourself for who you are and you do not look at what it costs you. This is godly sorrow, but you look at what it cost Jesus on the cross. In other words, you see the love of Jesus for you in the midst of your sin as he's hanging there on the cross taking your sin and it makes you want to love him more. Lastly, renewed following. You see, what Peter the Strong needed, what we need, is to know that Jesus loved Peter the weak. And he understood that. He understood that Jesus loved Peter the weak. And then look at what happens in verses 15 through 19. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And after every one of those, Peter says, yes, of course I love you. And then Jesus says, well, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, he's saying, I have loved you. Now you go and love my people, feed my sheep. And in that moment, Jesus is restoring Peter Peter, to his shepherding role in the kingdom, to his leadership in the kingdom and among the disciples. And he says, go feed my sheep. And you know what happened from this moment on? Peter did. You remember what happened in Peter's life? Go to the book of Acts. He preached a sermon and 3,000 people were converted. Jesus says he's the rock on which he builds the church. He wrote books of the Bible and he was eventually martyred for Jesus. Look at verses 18 and 19. I don't know if you caught this, but Jesus, it's pretty sobering. He tells Peter what's going to happen to him. He says, You're going to stretch out your arms. It's another way of saying that he's going to be crucified. And there is going to be someone who will carry you where you do not want to go. See, it's bittersweet promise to Peter who had failed Jesus and it was Jesus way of saying that I got you brother no one will snatch you out of my hand yes your courage may waver and your heart may waver, and your love for me might be feeble and fragile, but you will persevere, and my love for you will persevere, and you will make it to the end, and you will die for me. And when that moment comes, and they give you a chance to deny me, you will not. And tradition tells us that he didn't. Peter was crucified upside down, because he said, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. And Jesus closes the conversation and says, follow me. Keep your eyes on me, Peter. And I want to close here. This should be such good news to every single person in this room. Do you feel like a failure this morning as you sit here? Do you feel like there's someone you're someone who has blown it Spiritually, and therefore, you're handicapped spiritually, and that God can't really use you in the kingdom of God because you're so weak and broken, and because you've blown it and you feel like a failure. This passage is good news because it is better. Yes, Jesus loves you in the midst of your failure and forgives you, but you know what else He does? He uses you, He uses failures to accomplish His purpose in this passage if it shows us anything this morning it shows us that great failures make great followers because they have received a great forgiveness. We don't believe that, do we? I don't believe that. Oftentimes I think that the things are most sh- the, the things that are most shameful about me and my weaknesses and my insecurities, that those are the things, the very things that keep Jesus at a distance from me. And that's what we do, until so we cover it up, don't we? And we cover it up with humor and trying to be well-balanced and well-liked and successful. Please let this sink in. Please be encouraged by this. You do not have to be a spiritual rock star in order for Jesus to use you. You don't have to be the person that's always full of faith. You don't have to be the person that's the answer man in all the Bible studies that always has the right answer to every question. You do not have to be the person that's always bold in your faith. See, God uses failures like Peter, who have blown it. He uses people like me and you who often feels like we're taking two steps forward and five steps back. And we look at Peter, and here's what we often think. We're tempted to think, wow, God can even use a person like Peter. If that's your takeaway this morning, you've completely missed this passage. You've completely missed the whole point. Because you see, it is not, wow, God can even use a guy like Peter. It's, wow, God only uses men like Peter. See, it's only as you and I have gone down similar paths with Peter that we can have part and be used in the kingdom of God. See, the use and the love of Jesus is healing love for Peter. Because he took Peter through his darkest valley and he loved him while he was there. And it changed Peter's life. Friends, this morning, Jesus loves you this morning in the midst of your darkest hour. He loves you while you are there. And that should melt our heart and change us into renewed followers of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you Thank you that you love weak people. And that not only, as we've seen here, do you love us and forgive us, but you use us in your kingdom to do great things. That is an amazing thing. I pray that you would come through your spirit, give us the courage to be honest about our failure and to take our failure with you and to not run away from it, but to know that your arms are loving and that you are kind. And would you melt us with your kindness this morning and change us. In Jesus' name, amen.